All right. Well, I feel like it, we're not even going to do an intro. We're not even going to do the intro music. I think we've retired the intro music at this point. But we are here with the dropped kickoff once again for another week. I'm Nick Wasiliev, and we're here with an emergency broadcast again to talk about. I mean, not exactly much has happened. It's not been – it's been a pretty quiet time, hasn't it, Nathan? Nathan, did you enjoy your time off? Did you get any time off? What the hell is that? Um, <laughs> I, think, I, think the, I think we basically ended the last part with, oh, well, we're done for the year, but, you know, if something happens and, you know, we'll come back and then all of a sudden, ever since that moment, it's like we just kind of just jinxed the entire Australian rugby ecosystem because, goodness me, a lot has happened since that last podcast. Well, yeah, that last podcast was fun, wasn't it? We were because we were just before the grand final. You were going to go on leave straight afterwards. I was going to go on leave straight afterwards. So we just assumed, oh yeah, that'll be it. But like, here's an honest question. Here's an honest question. I mean, like, considering how shit this year has been, I mean, did you have a feeling? I certainly had the feeling that we were not done here. <laughs> it was going to be oh, that the next few months were going to be ugly, long and uh, and bad for the game. But I will say I don't expect – I didn't expect things to move as quickly as they have. I thought, oh, yeah, I can take two or three weeks off and nothing will happen. Eddie won't get sacked straight away. Hamish won't go. It's, uh, I'll say I didn't expect things to move so quickly. Uh, not Likewise. I mean, I for context, I flew back basically the first flight out of France after the final and – I think there was 12 hours in between landing and the, before that, and that sort of media release that had Eddie's, Eddie being sacked. So it's literally been nonstop since the World Cup. But yeah, I've got to say that's been now overshadowed by this whole Hamish McLean stuff. I think let's actually, before we talk Hamish, let's give our two cents worth on that grand final because I mean, now's as good a time as any, seeing as we weren't able to talk about it uh, in our last podcast. How good South Africa go. Back-to-back become the first nation to win four Super Rugby titles. Uh, as in Super Rugby titles. Become the first nation to win four Rugby World Cups. They have Bill for another week. Bill nearly got stolen. That also happened, which I think is amazing <laughs> in itself. So awesome. It just sums up, like, the last month. They nearly had a World <laughs> Cup stolen, and that's, like, the fifth or sixth most, like, most mind-blowing thing that happened. Yeah. And so, absolutely chaotic. But how good was the game? Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the? Because uh, you, you got the chance to check it out there, didn't you? While you were still in over in in France, did you? What were your thoughts? And do you think the scoreline is an accurate reflection? It was again unbelievable atmosphere. It shame the kind of it was just pissing down rain in the the build up. So that hence why it turned into a bit of a sort of penalty a thon. But yeah, two of the the two best sides, you know, in a true arm wrestle where it was just kind of those moments at the end where South Africa held, just held strong and closed out a game. It was unbelievable. And again, it was a real special night to be involved with. It was, wasn't it? And I think, you know, it said, despite all the talks of tries and, and results and things and comp- and discussions around the, around uh, some of the questionable calls, you can't deny that the All Blacks were given multiple times to win that game um, and they st- failed to take those critical chances when, when the opportunity came. And at the end of the day, that is, I think, what whenever people make the argument of, oh, the ref kneecapped us or whatever. I mean, at the end of that game, when when Colby was in the bin, I thought I thought New Zealand had had got it, they'd done it, and then they missed. I think it was uh, missed an uncharacteristic, uh, you know, penalty goal. And at that point, I was like, okay, stuff's happening. This is uh, 
this is intense as all hell. Uh, unbelievable game. Uh, I mean, <laughs> just a classic arm wrestle in the rain. Absolutely brilliant. And probably a good way of, of summarising and bringing uh, the curtain down on what was a, pr- a pretty solid tournament. I loved how much the French got into it. I loved how fantastic the audiences and the crowds were. I think it was the, one of the most, the, probably the most attended World Cup by a considerable margin. Australia's got a lot of work to do to uh, to, to match just that as a sheer spectacle, and that's not even before we get to the Wallabies and the chaos that has unfolded. Right, let's try and do like a quick fire summary because it has felt like it, it feels like a year ago when when the World Cup final finished. Eddie comes back. Eddie has a press conference. Eddie leaves. <laughs> We have Bill nearly getting us. We have uh, the Rugby World Cup, insane celebrations in South Africa. The World Cup nearly gets stolen. Wayne Barnes uh, retires and then comes out in uh, in condemnation of some of the treatment he's received, which has led to a whole bunch of discussions around appropriate level of conduct for referees. And then we have uh, centralisation gets underway. The Waratahs officially announced that they'll they'll be handing the keys over, and I've started the process of doing that, and we'll begin that process in uh, on January first, twenty twenty four. We have the the Brumbies and the Reds coming out in disagreement at that. We have Hamish uh, being called to resign. Hamish saying a lot of stuff in the media, saying he won't back down, saying this, that, and the other, and then it all culminates with last week, where six member unions send a letter to Rugby Australia essentially saying that that they are calling on Hamish to resign, Hamish McLennan, and it leads to a whole bunch of emergency meetings over the weekend, um, and Hamish misses the 5pm deadline. Um, there's there's an extension put in, so the board meets multiple times. Hamish, I recall, is not invited to one of those meetings. Yep, so a whole bunch of discussion uh, of discussion uh, is happening behind the scenes, and in the event, and effectively, it sounds like we're going to go towards an extraordinary general meeting uh, in 60 days' time, realistically in January 2024. And then, lo and behold, last night, which so we're recording this on Monday afternoon, last night at 10 p.m., the t- the board meets again, and Daniel Herbert. Uh, Wallaby legend, World Cup winner, also has been on the board, has has worked at the Reds, has has CEO of a couple of businesses of of a of a, of a managing group, wins in a vote over Hamish McLennan, and just like that, Hamish McLennan is done. Nathan, where do we begin here? <laughs> where do we begin? And also, I mean, seeing as you're actually in the building, uh, what sort of stuff have you been hearing first and foremost? Um, I would say first, though, just one thing to add to that timeline. Uh, Waller Rose and WXA. That was. Oh great. my right. God! Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Jesus, we've been so focusing on all the negatives, on. we forgot to mention they beat France, which was amazing. Awesome. <laughs> but let's let's start with the Hamish stuff. Um, I'm gonna say I've again had no idea this. There was kind of rumblings around the media about the sort of the member unions being a bit dissatisfied, but I didn't see the unified statement coming Friday night. That was out of the blue um, and really strongly worded as well. That's what took me back. That was a scathing criticism of how Hamish has, you know, lost trust and um, the way he's sort of handled certain stuff, such as the Sir Lee signing and the way he carried himself after the World Cup. And, yeah, 
essentially what my understanding of it is is that you know three or four board meetings um and Dan, Dan Herbert touched on it today when he he fronted media for a solid half an hour Herbert got nominated by the RA board he didn't it wasn't a case of him going forward I, I believe there was others that had like another person in mind but or other yeah. sort of member unions had someone else in mind that they thought was going to be in that position but Herbert was a unanimous decision by the board to be put up and yeah. uh, in, in his words um him and Hamish were taken out of the call of all the people in the board. They voted. Um, Dan rejoined, was told that he was um, the, the man heading forward. Um, Hamish was then asked to rejoin the meeting. He asked for the result. When he was told he wasn't going to get it, he then didn't didn't join the didn't join the meeting and then stepped down from the board altogether. And wow. like, yeah, pretty brutal stuff. And yeah, and I think yeah. Well, there's this narrative that's been peddled that it was a split vote. The only, in Herbert's words, the the only reason that it was split was because him and Hamish had a vote. Every, everything else was unanimous, quote unquote. Wow. That's real brutal stuff. Like, and it just kind of, but it sounds like it, whilst it all happened so fast, this when you read into the statement and you read into what's kind of, and you know, um, QIU, um, I think QIU chairman, um, Brett Clark spoke yes. to me as well. You could tell when he was speaking like that, this wasn't a rash power grab as certain, certain individuals, the parting individual has described it as this, this has been coming for a while from there and they've been quite frustrated with how it's all going. And ultimately when you, you have six, six member unions come out, the only two that don't come out are the ones that weren't even like consulted due to their ongoing centralization talks. So they could have been on board. We don't know, but probably unlikely. Um, when you have such a unified front, he was ultimately a dead man walking as one, it, one source told a paper. So yeah, it's a crazy 48 hours when you kind of think of it and all kind of dropped. Yeah. 10 30 last night when they were counting numbers and yeah, it all happened. I will say it just feels like, you know, after the years of previously gone by, it was the result that we didn't see coming in 48 to 72 hours. It was uh, it was one that, that moved extremely quickly and one that, again, has really caught, caught, I think, a lot of the rugby pundits off guard, even though we were wanting and demanding change because it, it had really reached a point of being incredibly untenable. It's interesting you make that point. I mean, for anyone who hasn't listened, Hamish, has responded to all of this stuff on, uh, he had an interview on 2GB earlier today. Interesting that you, he mentioned that, that of course, uh, you know, the Waratahs and, and Victorian rugby rebels uh, were not uh, approached by these other state unions. But also interesting that Hamish had mentioned that, you know, he'd, the support of quite a lot of, of groups uh, in, in his eyes, he thought that the Waratahs, the rebels, and indeed the Western Force uh, were all happy with him staying on. Apparently, he had the support of Twiggy Forrest and uh, and uh, and the team over in in WA. But if if it sounds to me like it's unanimous, then clearly the, the, whoever was voting on the on in the WA camp probably had a significant impact uh, on whether he stayed or went. Uh, interesting. And that's that's unanimous. The board, by the way. So there might, there was probably going to be. I'm not sure how the sort of representation by state there. So there might have still been, you might have been largely your New South Wales, Queensland, but it's, it's it wasn't as split as you said. And again, when you look at the support, it was very much, you know, I had the support of, as you said, John Howard, John Coates. He was like, it was a lot of I rather than when you, again, I, I find it fascinating that he didn't talk about 
a lot about what he's done to the game and where this leaves the game with him gone. But it was a lot of it's coordinated a start against my, myself. It's coordinated. Yeah, it was a lot of instead of the good of the game, it seemed to be he seemed to sort of take it as more as a personal like side against him, which I I don't believe was is the case. But I think ultimately Hamish's fault. I, I think Hamish did a lot of has done a lot of good for the game, and that can't be under like undersold. Mm-hmm. Again, the way he's way came in a really difficult time and steadied the ship and made a lot of good moves. I I think he just ultimately came down to a gamble he made with Eddie and and a couple of other decisions that just haven't paid off. And he's got to now. And this is this is the consequences of it. This is and ultimately when you are very sort of open with your opinion and willing to give it. It, these things can come back to haunt you. And ultimately, this is what happened. This is the other side of that ultimate gamble that nobody talks about, and that nobody kind of wants to even consider, that we're now just kind of living in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it, uh, let's not be said, it, it, it is important to recognise that there, he, there was a lot of, inter- of good things that happened under Hamish's run. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't, you may disagree with him, but the bloke definitely was committed. <laughs> you, you can't yep. deny it. You cannot deny it. Uh, signing over Cadbury, uh, he was uh, helped, you know, kind of contribute to us getting those World Cups. Um, and additionally, you know, for all of the talk, he is uh, commercially connected. He has a lot of clout in corporate space, um, even if he might be outspoken. I actually, it, it is interesting that, uh, you know, we hear those conflicting viewpoints that, that I'd heard that he had, you know, he was asked to remain on the board, but then he decided not to. He is someone with a lot of connections and a lot of influence and value, even if you may disagree with the way he goes about things. And it puts us in an interesting position. Uh, we are dealing with the fallout right now. We really are. It's If you had told me again at the start of this year where, that Eddie, we'd lose not just Eddie, we have lost four significant people who were we thought would be stalwarts of our game. We've lost we lost Dave Redding, we've lost Andy Marinos, we've lost Eddie Jones, and we have lost Hamish McClellan. And we now find ourselves in very different in a very different place. In a very in a significantly different place. And I feel like what we're going to be dealing with the fallout of this year is going to permeate for a very long time. Are we worried? That Hamish is gone because Hamish has now has has said that he thinks that this of course of, he, of course he will say that but he is entitled to say this that given the nature of who moved against him he thinks that that such a move will create even more disunity. What do you think? Do you think that that is the case, or is it a situation where it cause more might cause more unity? Is and also. Can, can Rugby Australia afford to lose someone like Hamish McLennan? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, he's, again, as you're right, he, we forget as well, he's also Sansar chairman as well. He's, you know, going, all sort of reports is, you know, he was, he's looking for, uh, to move into that world rugby space as well. So he's, yeah, a man of significant power that has just now been all of a sudden tossed aside. Whether this creates more unity or disunity, like, it's a tough one. As kind of as I said, in the fact that we enter an unknown in in the sense of you know Phil Wars proved himself as a, as a CEO so far, but again it was only six months into his reign. Um, Daniel Herbert still mm. again 
spoke today and was very, I will say, very confident, very calm. We walked out of the, uh, out of the sort of press conference, virtual press conference, feeling confident about his appointment. But two pretty unproven people at the moment, so it's gonna it's gonna take a lot. And ultimately, around this goal of centralization, and a lot of the talk is, you know, from a high performance perspective, everyone's on on board, which I think is the most important important aspect of this. How much is that is just chat, and how much of that is actual physical actions that will come together and when you know a player does want to move or you you want to share state secrets around that around that sort of area how much will that actually be implemented rather than just all this chat and yeah i i feel like if you had to kind of make a call now i think it will it'll create more unity i mean we've had six member unions show probably the most unified front we've seen in a while in <laughs> in that letter like that's reality it's true yeah, yeah, that makes. I think that's hilarious. I just want to say that. I just want to say that it's hilarious that that in trying to talk about unity, it created a situation where all the unions were in were united against him, which yeah. insane, insane stuff. It's crazy, but again, yeah. whether whether that kind of will create more unity across the board, it's a way to be seen. But I I think it's going to be the right if ultimately. Hamish's and Eddie's entire sort of ethos when leaving was, well, the system's broken, we're trying to fix it. If this is the way that the, we get that system fixed and we're all aligned and if it had to be those two guys going, then so be it. This could, could be, it sounds like the sort of main reason. So it's like, all right, your so-called roadblocks are out of the way. Let's get it done. Let's just get this sorted now. Mm. It is interesting to note that the member unions had issued have issued a joint statement um, from earlier to um, earlier today at around eight thirty this morning, um, basically saying that they accepted and uh, were actually it was quite praiseworthy of Hamish McLennan basically saying that he always believed in the best interests of the game and it was an honourable decision that recognises his his continued service had become a distraction but he cannot be faulted for his energy or devotion to rugby. It's interesting to note that the that and I think you mentioned it earlier in Brett Clark's discussion uh, at, with the press uh, out at Ballymore earlier this evening that the member unions remain, remain committed to working with Rugby Australia's new chair Dan Herbert and CEO Phil War on their plans for high performance centralisation. It's a, I feel like it's an impossible question to ask, but for I feel like Phil and Dan. Phil's barely been in the job six a few months. Dan, as much as I, I have no doubt he has got a lot of skills, I mean, does he have the qualifications and the uh, commercial connections that that Hamish does? Who's to say? Um, what does success look like for them in 2024? What what can we consider a pass mark? Because it would be wrong to immediately call for their heads next year because they've barely had the chance to make an they'll have barely had the chance to make an impact. Um, especially after the fallout of such a damaging year that is tw- that has been this year, what can we make a call on what success looks like for them? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say this is a success benchmark. I'm thinking this is just a this is a guarantee has to happen. Give them actually 12 months. We can't go through another CEO and another chairperson. I don't care what happens. You've got to give these guys time to, to actually work. I'm, the lack of stability that we've had, I mean, we've, as you said, 
it kind of felt like almost like two camps and you know Marinos and Rennie against you know Jones and McLennan all four and out gone and we also have a Wallaroos coach leaving as well so like there's essentially five influential figures gone stability has to be number one and it, it's not a pass mark it's just that it's a must what will be success for them is if they can manage to convince the rest of those unions to sign up to centralization particularly Reds and Brumbies now what that centralization looks like, it, I don't believe it's going to be a fully fledged one like we've seen with the Waratahs. There's already been kind of indications that they're willing to sort of meet halfway, keep the commercial side stay with the states and the high performance go with Rugby Australia. I think that's a, that's a positive. That that's mm. if if they can pull it off, that's I think is the success that you, you're looking mm. for from a governance perspective. And yeah, I think if you can just just again, less less drama. As weird as it says from from a journalist perspective, I'm tired. I'm so, so yeah. tired of just yeah. all the kind of all the the sort of stuff that's just gone on, and it just hasn't really st- stabilized the game. So if you can just kind of let these guys crack on with the job, if we don't have to, you know, have monthly press conferences with these guys on another issue and another thing and another thing, and they can just kind of get the job done, that's that's a pass mark. Yeah, I think stability. That's pretty much it. Stability is the word. Uh, enough of the coup d'etats, enough <laughs> of the um, <laughs> enough of the emergency extraordinary general meetings, enough of the of the the consistent chaotic energy that just makes fans reel in go, and go, why am I bothering to follow this thing? Uh, I think it's time it, with for just if they can get through the next twelve months. And what we are talking about is the Wallabies' performances on the field and nothing else. Add to that the Wallaroos' performances on the field as their profile continues to grow. I'd consider that success. Just just being, just focusing on what matters, what we are actually all here for, and that is the rugby. And hopefully that means that they put measures into place where they're focusing on stuff that aims to make the rugby better for our men's and women's. I think that is success, stability and calmness. I'm not going to, I don't think, I think we're all accepting of the fact that especially in the case of the Wallabies, they're not going to turn around this juggernaut in a day. In, in, it's it's going to take time. It's going to take a whole bunch of new staff. There's going to be some new rugby IP that is going to have to be brought in. Um, following the sacking of all of that staff, all of those groups um, of people. There's going to have to be a lot of building now. Uh, and I think that the one positive that we can get is, I mean, I, again, we say I, this I, is the place where we're at. And if we just focus on the rugby, that's success at this point. Couldn't I agree with you more. We'll finish off by quickly touching on the other big uh uh, departure, all the other departures. Um, the first of all, uh, we we missed them in the in our in our quick summary. But uh, the I was absolutely loving uh, watching the Wallaroos over the course of the uh, of the World 15 Tier One uh, tournament. My goodness, to they performed exceptionally. Uh, yes, they may have gone down to the Black Ferns and to England, but that win over France was probably the performance of the year for any national Australian side. Unbelievable guts and performance and strength 
to beat um, a, a, a Le Bleu side that had literally beaten the Black Ferns the previous week. Um, and just incredible guts of performance. And then as well to beat a Welsh side that has recently become fully professionalised the following week. It just said to me, God, give these girls more. What they could achieve with more. How good was it? And what a shame. What a shame it is that Jay Dragoning is not sticking around. For he, he is leaving uh, after that Wales performance. He leaves, I believe, with uh, w- w- achieving the most number of wins uh, for a Wallaroos coach. Um, he he wins with us having having taken the players to a quarterfinal. He win he leaves with uh, a, a, a couple of very significant victories. I think uh, one the one of the, obviously the France the France victory, um, the strong performances. Uh, the, the big strong win over the United States earlier this year, um, and it's such a different contrast to where the Wallaroos were when he started. And yeah, what are we? It's such a shame that he's not sticking around for any longer. But the positive is that we have a full-time Wallaroos coach coming in next. My question is, why didn't they not throw his hat in the mix for that for a full-time role? Uh, I think for him, he wanted to focus on family. Um, again, he had. I believe his kids going into year 12 in the HSC, so I think he made a call that he'd rather focus on that, go back to his teaching um, yeah. teaching roots and, yeah, just step, step away, leaving the program in such a good good position and generally one of the nicer blokes in rugby. Like he's, I've, you know, tried to plant a plethora of people about him. You know, no one's had a bad word to say about him. I mean, as you said, has some really kind of landmark wins and what is – the closest Australian coach to, beat, to beating New Zealand, the New Zealand mm. black fans. You know, you know, I, I will always remember that World Cup, that opening, the opening game, that first 20 minutes when they came out and blitzed them, kind of sitting in a press box with, you know, only two or three other Australians in, the, in that entire place, kind of thinking what the hell is just happening, but being in kind of a, almost a state, state of euphoria. It, it, mm. Even after those... And then you kind of couple that with the wins over Scotland and Wales. Being, I, I've said this, but being the only, I think I was the only Australian journalist over there at the time, and being able to kind of speak to him afterwards, and you felt the passion and you felt the pride, and it's again memories I will hold, and I will always, again, I just say thank you to Jay for what he's done for this, this Wallaroos program and where he's left them, because my goodness, whoever takes over has got some serious talent to work with and some serious yeah. moments from heading into 24. Yeah, it may have, you know, only 19, 19 test matches under his tenure, but what it has done is the we entered him with him coming in and we leave with him seeing just what these girls could be. And they could be one of the best teams in the world or the best team in the world. They have it in them to do it um, after these after these performances that they have shown. Um, I am so excited to sit, to watch the Wallaroos next year. I am, I am so excited just to see where this place goes, um, and hopefully sooner rather than later we'll be we'll be talking about professional contracted players um, keep getting in line with the rest of the world um, and really putting that foot forward. But thank you, Jay. Wow, you provided us with some real highlights in what has been a dark, dark year for Australian rugby, and I appreciate it hugely. The other big result and the other big departure from this time is 
and, and to finish off the year, it makes sense because the year started with him, is the one and only Eddie Jones, who was actually just earlier today in a, uh, in a very long... <laughs> yes, he was in a podcast earlier today with James Graham talking about uh, his coaching tenure. He's, you know... Uh, talking about play, uh, you know, players and direction next, and and what he, the future looks like for him. What a strange year uh, for Eddie Jones, and I, I don't think I've ever seen someone's uh, rugby clout fall so spectacularly as it has this year um, for him. Where do we go with with Eddie? Jo- what do we do? What what do we like? What can you take from? This this year for Eddie Jones and for Australia and for the Wallabies especially, a hell of a stand documentary. Yeah, I'm so excited to watch that. Oh my god, is it still going ahead? Is it, is it like are they still are they going to do it? Um, last I heard, like that's the thing. I've at, like every single press conference that I went to, there was multiple cameras still filming. So I don't say why not. Like I last I heard that it was still kind of underway and um. I don't know when, um, like when it's going out, but like I, you assume that it goes um, probably in line with next year's Super Rugby, mm-hmm. and next, if you make if it makes sense. But God, there's so much material. I think there is like uh, you, you can probably do four or five episodes. Um, yeah, it's mm-hmm. what, what do you say? What do you say um, about just this entire sort of episode that's gone on with Eddie Jones? Um, mm. far out. Like you, you look at his tenure, and like again, there's another guy that kind of risk it all, and just it hasn't paid off, and we still kind of sit there wondering if this Japan link is actually going to come around, or if what what's his next move, and what the hell does it look like for the Wallabies heading forward? Because yeah, I'm kind of still left with questions about this whole oh. situation and what the hell just unfolded. That we've got to a stage where, again, twelve months, twelve months earlier, I know it's you know, I think we were recording. Eddie was still with England. Like, it's it's Jan- it was January. Two- it was January this year. It was it's been like eleven months, pretty much, bang on eleven months to to the day, nearly pretty much. So you get yourself in a situation where you think if twelve months twelve months ago when he got um sacked by England, so he got sacked by England December December six. So this time last year he was still in charge. You were saying 12 months ago, Eddie Jones would be in line for Japan job. You'd be like, all right, that makes sense. We've just had the entire Australian. It's wild to think that he's just gone. The tenure of his coaching has gone 10 months. And what has mm. followed What has followed since? What has happened? Like it's a lot of what I've just said has not made sense, but it kind of sums up the last 10 or 11 months. So it doesn't mm. of what just happened. And this entire process where, again, another – Another man's position really became untenable with this time with the Japanese links. And yeah, this felt like the only option was to move on, start fresh. And I guess the, the search for a new coach will begin once the director of high performance is confirmed, which again, sounds like going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Well, I feel like it's, this is, we, we had, I did write a, a, you know, like a, an opinion piece about, you know, kind of playing a devil's advocate for a moment that I thought that Hamish and, and Eddie probably shouldn't walk away from their mess because at the very least this year will serve as their legacy. And it is, this is, and I don't know how, how Eddie is going to be able to shake this off. He needs a Japan beating South Africa sort of win 
now to to really reinstate his clout as a major international forward thinking coach because wow he blew it <laughs> they blew it <laughs> that's the that's the only way, way you can describe it yeah. that's why I describe it. it it's insane to think that that you know the the if look if I'd gone back to January just imagining us saying it was going to be this sort of year I don't think any of us could have predicted the year that it has been so I think we we wrap it up and we call it there because Lord knows God, I think our only our pitiful little souls can only take so much bad news uh, bad news from Australian rugby so we're going to take a well earned break over Christmas. But thank you for this emergency broadcast, Nath. And See, I, I refuse to. I'm just going to. I'm going to cut you off there. I'm going to refuse. We said this a, a month ago. I'm not putting the jinx on this. I refuse to. <laughs> I will see you in three weeks when something else somehow happens and we're we're left scratching our heads, being like, "What the hell?" <laughs> okay then. Well, if on that in that case, to all of our listeners, we'll see you in three weeks when Phil War is sacked for some reason. <laughs> and a, a meteorite somehow hits three rugby players in the route. And, yes. You know, jo- yeah. Joseph Sully somehow convinces six more league guys to sign for free. Um, what else could be happening? Yeah. Uh, um, I think, okay, uh, we we leave our deal with Stan and we have – there are no takers. Australian rugby has no takers for any sort of promotional deal whatsoever, um, and we end up on YouTube. At Eddie uh, Jones science Eddie Jones science in Japan, but it's Japan Rugby League. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Michael Checker becomes coach of the Wallabies. He comes back uh, uh, with, his, with his deputy being Robbie Deans. With his deputy being Robbie Deans. Yep. Fuck yes. Uh, now I'm vibing. Now we're talking. David Nusifora, um decides to come back to Australia. But he lasts two weeks and then goes back to Ireland because he's decided that it's 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 a bridge too far. There's no way it can be fixed and we're all screwed. Actually, that's pretty lucky. <laughs> um, <laughs> John Mantini, John Mantini, and Eddie Jones get into a boxing match, uh, and and Eddie Jones accidentally gives himself an uppercut. Oh, honestly, <laughs> that would make my Christmas. Kidding. <laughs> Obviously, kidding. Uh, Nothing, nothing anyone does can surprise us anymore. That's where we're at. That's the conclusion. So I'll see you in three weeks, Nathan. (laughs) I guess I'll I'll see you the next time around.